What's up, everybody? This is Mike Atkins from Nerds on Earth, welcoming you to yet another installment of the AMP. And as always, I am joined by Adam from the Back Patio Network. And we are here to cover two more episodes of the anime, which has returned uh, just a few weeks ago. We're covering episodes 91, Clash, Class A versus Class B, and 92, which is titled Make It Happen Shinso. So uh, if you're new to this podcast, welcome. It's a weird place to jump in, but we're glad that you're here. Uh, but if you're unfamiliar with how we do things, we just talk about all of the things of these episodes. Very spoiler heavy. So uh, we advise always that you watch these two episodes before you sit down and listen to us gab mindlessly about them. Absolutely, yeah. And it's it's been kind of crazy having these like episodes airing every weekend. Like I feel like we binged the first few seasons, you know, and now that we're having like we had to wait forever for season five and now we're waiting week to week. And there's a part of me that loves it because at the end of every episode, I'm like. I'm like biting at the, the bit to just message you and be like, did you see this happen? Or like, you know, what do you think about this? And so it's been, it's been awesome. Like getting that kind of like revitalization of, you know, just wanting to talk about the show, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, the time that we took off uh, from the anime, uh, not self-imposed time off, but because that there was a, a gap between season four and season five, uh, we did spend a lot of time in vigilantes, which did eventually after many months of doing things the hard way, uh, it led us to the Shonen Jump app, and so have you been availing yourself of that too as you watch the anime like I was uh, previously and doing some manga versus anime comparisons as you watch slash read? I'm actually getting caught up on the manga, so I'm on chapter 53 right now, uh, but I do plan on doing that. I just want to get, I want to have read everything over as kind of like a refresher to season five, if that makes sense. Um, I went back and started watching it, and then when we picked up the Shonen Jump app, I was like, you know, I think I'll just read it, so... I'm reading two or three chapters every day uh, when I'm not just crazy busy with work, which unfortunately has has been the last few weeks. <laughs> oh man, I feel you on that front. Uh, I gotta say yeah. though, I have been watching Attack on Titan in my other very limited spare time, and that show's nuts. I almost want to start a show like a podcast just to talk about that with you because it's ridiculous. <laughs> I think I've only seen the first season or two of that, but I, I continue to hear good things. However, I'm stuck in Ship It In Land. And it is a vast land. Um, oh, yes, that is. You've got a deep well of, uh, of episodes and, and hours to watch, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm finally, I've begun the countdown from 100 episodes left. I'm in the 410 somewhere nice. of exactly 500. So there's, there's light at the end of the very long Ship It In Tunnel. But it's been <laughs> more or less enjoyable the whole time. I mean, there are definitely some stretches of content where... I was watching it to just to have watched it, but was doing other things sure. like all the time that they spent on that ship going to uh, catch up with B and do that training. I was like, oh, that was hot garbage. And almost none of that was worth watching. But, but that stuff is actually canon, which is pretty nuts, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. It's strange. Like, it's really hard sometimes to figure out what is filler and what isn't in that show. Yeah. And some of it, m most, not most of it, but a lot of their filler actually is fairly decent. Uh, and I think where I'm at now, I get really frustrated because it's this big ninja war thing happening and I want that to keep happening. But then they're like, let's go back and watch the tuning exams, you know, and I'm <laughs> yeah. like, the crap, uh, you know, Madara is about to kill folks. Like, that's what I want to watch. Right. Uh, well, so that's kind of I, frustrating, but the back stories that you get in that stuff is really good. So, oh yeah, no, it definitely is. I'm curious what our listeners are uh, checking out right now. So if you're catching any new uh, anime or new manga, uh, let us know. If you, especially if you've got the Shonen Jump app and you're reading something in there that's new, let us know because I'm I'm all down for a new new something to pick up. I've been trying to read Akira Toriyama's new uh, manga. I think it's called Sand Devil, and it's pretty interesting. Huh. So yeah, it's fun. I haven't heard of I'm it. I'm a huge Akira Toriyama fan. Like I love most of his work. So. Um, yeah, speaking of, I'm, I am uh, listening to another podcast called The Destructo Discourse, which is doing a, a watch through of DBZ, uh, and it's a handful of comedians. They're really, really funny. Highly recommended if you enjoyed that anime, and uh, eventually they get around to covering GT, which I've never seen. So I went and bought it on DVD, and I'm trying to catch up through The Destructo Discourse to the point where they start GT, so I'll, I'll jump in. I've never seen it. I know what happens. Like I'm, I'm aware of things, but I've never watched it, so I'm excited about that. and. I know we've had folks in our Discord talk about uh, Jujutsu Kaisen as one yeah, that we I've should be about watching one. slash reading. Yeah. So Correction, it's named Sand Land, not Sand Devil. Uh, but regardless gotcha. of, of all this talk, why don't we talk about a little My Hero Academia? What do you think? It is that kind of podcast, isn't it's it? It's supposed to be, but we like to talk. We're gabbers. <laughs> it's true. So we, we begin episode 91 with a kind of 
a copy and paste of the last couple minutes of episode 90 where uh, Deku is interacting with the vestiges. And not only is he interacting with them, but uh, the the first user of One for All is directly interacting with Deku. And, And this becomes a talking point between him and All Might later because All Might had experiences with these vestiges, but nothing like what Deku is describing. So that raises all kinds of questions. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure you had mentioned that in the manga version of this, like whenever he has this dream and then breaks the window and wakes up, someone like goes up and checks on him or something. And they kind of had this at the beginning of 91 where Aoyama is like, is everything okay in there? And I think he's insinuating that he may have broken the toilet because he tells him (laughs) he needs to eat some cheese to help clear things out. I feel like that's what he's insinuating. Maybe but cheese does the opposite. Cheese That's is what cheese I is a blocker. I know. So I was like, I don't know what kind of cheese Aoyama's eaten, but it seems to work for him. I did have in my notes. I was like, does he does he think it's constipation? Yeah. But the way that he <laughs> phrases it, he's like, are you holding on to something and haven't you had enough cheese? I think it's slightly different in the manga the words that he chooses to use, uh, but I don't I don't remember what they are. It, it is it is different. I think that there's maybe a little bit more clarity in the manga on what it is that Aoyama's actually. Uh, asking Deku well, there. There is a bit of an Easter egg there because at the very end of every episode, like the the outro, he, when he, they're shopping in the market, he's actually shopping for cheese. So I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, so here's what it says in the manga. It says, would you mind not getting so excited? Not enough cheese, perhaps? Um, so maybe he was saying, maybe you should be constipated and you would be a little less excitable. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But anyways, he's having all of this uh, thought while he's jogging to go meet up with All Might and talk. So he's telling All Might about his dreams. And it's interesting because All Might really tells him like, yeah, that's kind of exactly, you know, how I experienced it. Like this is, the, I saw these things, you know, my master told me about the vestiges. But when Deku goes into the fact that the first wielder is like telling him about certain things and talking about the singularity that he brings up, you know, All Might's actually kind of surprised and taken aback because he's like, look, they, they never happened to me. And as far as I'm aware, it never happened to any of the other wielders either. You, you're the first person that the first wielder has ever contacted. Uh, and I think the last episode I had asked about like what the singularity might be. And Deku thinks that it is actually the idea that at some point in time, the quirks of people will get so powerful that the quirks won't be controllable. And at that point, it's just going to cause mass destruction, basically. And so it sounds like maybe if that's what the first wielder is talking about, you know, we're past this singularity where quirks are too powerful. They they aren't going to be controllable for much longer, it doesn't seem like. Yeah, and this the the way that uh Deku in particular talks about his experience with the vestiges is really, really interesting. Um one of the things that he says is uh, all my ass, you saw the memories of the first user for one for all. And Deku says, yeah, but there were also all for one's memories too. And if you go back and you watch, or you're looking at the manga, there are definitely scenes where the first user was not present, but Midoriya was made privy to uh, kind of what was going on beyond the, the experience of that first user, which is really interesting. And it's got me maybe thinking a bit conspiratorially about who the uh, the trader, if there even is one anymore, could be at at UA because so if if this thing is like able to show Deku things and Deku talks about how the the first user spoke to him directly, this differentiates it from a passive viewing of memories or whatever. There's purpose there. There's intentionality there. Uh, Midori even says at one point during the sports fest, you said that there was no intent behind it in the manga. He says, you said that there was no consciousness to this. Um, and we we talked, I think, during the second movie about how all for one, the one for all definitely seems to have a consciousness. Because remember, it was like, mm-hmm. yeah. nah, nah, Bakugo, you don't get to keep, you know, um, well, the, the power. And it's kind of weird because like All Might talks about a, a moment in time when he's training with his master and her name escapes me at the moment. Um, but she... Nana Shimura. Yeah, Nana Shimura. Thank you. She's, she tells him that the the power to this quirk is very interesting. It's got a lot built up to it. And she explains that it, it has like dreams built up and wants and that it, it, she says feelings always come before power. So basically she's saying the personalities of these people are really recorded within this power. So when she talks about it this way, it sounds like it's not just one conscious, but maybe multiple consciousness, like almost like a Borg mentality or something, right? Yeah. And so what I'm thinking, and this is wild, harebrained conspiracy. Oh, this is what I love, though. I can't wait. Yeah. So 
if if this quirk has that level of sentience consciousness um and it kind of maybe lingers in even prior users what if there's some sort of connection still between one for all and all for one oh, in yeah. such a way that as deku sees hears experiences whatever um that that pieces of that information are somehow able to be communicated to um all for one even who even as he sits in prison or even before he was in prison and they they were being fed information and they couldn't figure out what the source of it was what if that source is the one for all's vestigial connections to all for one because he possessed it at one point too i could see that like that makes sense the only thing i hate about it is it's pretty much just harry potter and voldemort so right. I don't know. That just feels kind of cheesy to me. But I think that like I think you have a legitimate thought there because it makes it makes perfect sense. We know this power did come from All for One originally, right? I mean, he passed it on to the first wielder who has passed it on since then. Uh, that's interesting. And you know, so that actually kind of leads into a theory that I had because Deku's telling All Might like there were two people he couldn't see at all, and then All Might was there, but he was really fuzzy. And mm-hmm. I had touched on that last episode, it, it, and it makes me wonder if maybe what's happening here is the, I'm going to say vestiges that he can see are the ones that are all like-minded people or wielders. They all have a common dream or a common goal. Maybe it's to be the number one hero, whereas the two that they can't see may have had evil intentions or maybe not so good intentions, not the same dreams. So the conscious as a whole is neglecting those two, and they're basically quarantined off from the other consciousses. Does that make sense? So yeah, they couldn't that, they couldn't influence Deku at all. That would be interesting too. And I and it's I don't know that we know where in the order those two blurry ones fall. Right. Um because we see very clearly Nana, who is uh before All Might even, and we see extremely clearly and have the most interaction with the first one. So obviously they're somewhere between one and seven. Um but yeah, it's I, I'm I'm very curious to see why it is or how it gets explained that those two are blurry, um, almost like it's selective about what it's presenting. Um, and, and maybe, who knows, maybe the visuals themselves are somehow spoilery. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean... I don't know how that would work, but... We don't really know a whole lot about uh, these other wielders at all. I mean, we really only know about All Might and uh, Nana Shimura, and I guess the first wielder at this point. The rest are kind of a mystery to us, though, right? Yeah, very much so. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple quick things too. So one of the things that happens in here is Nana Shimura is having this like tiny flashback moment with All Might um, as All Might is recalling this memory and and he's asking her about the vestiges and she says, well, that's not a dream. They're the vestiges. And I just have in my notes, it's cool, bro. It's just ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> um, as, as if that was somehow just going to be like a big comfort to All Might. Uh, and then there was another point too where... Uh, all Might asks if um, he accidentally used one for all in his sleep. And Deku was like, yeah, and, you know, it, it didn't cause me any damage. But I've decided to name that particular use of one for all the nocturnal cowling. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> kind of like a nocturnal emission, but yeah. <laughs> it's accidental. Uh, I like that a lot. That's uh, funny. So, yeah, it's it's this whole scene is kind of capped off, too, with um, uh, All Might saying, you know, I don't understand exactly what's going on, but I do think that the quirk is on your side. Uh, and then Deku hits on Nana Shimura, basically saying that she was really pretty. I mean, it wasn't like an, it wasn't like a Mineta level, um, you know, pass or anything. No, like but that, it was but... really funny because All Might was like, yeah, she looks like your mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just the hair. Yeah. I mean, he went out of his way to say it was the hair. Right, but it in was his, just... In All Might's defense. It was just kind of funny because the way that I first heard it was like, dang, All Might, okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, All Might reserves his creepiness for the next scene where uh, he and Midori are walking down the hall together as usual, and Aizawa comes out and comments on that. Dude, that was such a weird moment. It was super strange. It's different. It's not as creepy in the uh, in the manga as it's presented in the uh, in the uh, anime. But in the anime, All Might immediately goes into freakout mode where he's just like, "It's not that. It's not like this." You know, he he forced me to, and then Aizawa cuts him off, and he's like, "Don't make it sound like you're having an affair." Um, but in the manga, it's not like that. Uh, as I was just like, it's, it's fine. Like it's, you guys are always as chummy as ever. You know, the, the corny excuses are getting old is basically all that he says for them finding time to spend time together. Well, and I was like, and, who even cares that they're hanging out? Why would it make a difference at this point? Yeah. I mean, cause Aizawa comes out of a, a room with, uh, Shinzo with Shinzo in tow yeah. too. So, but I mean, he almost seems embarrassed to have been caught with Shinzo. Almost like these teachers aren't allowed to like have one-on-one sessions with their students or something. 
Yeah, that's true. It was just, I don't know, it felt weird to me because it it seemed awkward on both sides. Like, they were just both going to be like, okay, we didn't see each other. You know what I mean? (laughs) I don't know. It just felt weird. Well, Aizawa kind of glares at Midori and he's like, you need to go ahead and uh, go start warming up for today's exercises. So they do. And we are whisked away to Field Gamma, which was the scene of the race. Um, uh, Several, it was like right after I think Midoriya got full cowling. Uh, and was able to kind of jump as Sarah was swinging and Ida was running and all that stuff. It was when we got America's ass um, from and the <laughs> thumbs up from uh, All Might. All that stuff was in Field Gamma. And um, it's very urban environment, not very much open space at all. Uh, and we kind of get a brief little bit of conversation with Class 1A. Um, one of the funniest things that gets said in this scene is they ask Hagakure if she's cold. Because apparently it's winter. Everybody else is rocking winter versions of their costumes. Hagakure still has boots and gloves and that's it. Yeah. And she owns it. She's just like, yeah, I'm freezing. I'm freezing. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was great. But she's so excited that it doesn't matter. Uh, they had a handful of like costume changes and they're all kind of discussing like what their different costumes are. And uh, when Bakugo walks up, his looks totally different. His looks pretty cool. And Deku explains that it's got, I don't know, it's like relieving, I guess, a certain heat. So that way he can sweat better and I guess build up the sweat. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, so... He basically asks Bakugo, or maybe tells him, maybe he already knows, that this is like highly insulated and is able to generate its own heat. That way he can sweat, right. uh, even when it's cold outside. I super liked that Momo's was a cape, because you can quickly move that out of the way for her quirk to be um, ac- accessible at the, the same level that it was in her quote-unquote summer uniform. Yeah. Um, I was surprised. So I, I really like that. I was surprised Sue didn't have a more like decked-out outfit, because we know the cold affects her more than anyone else. Yeah, that's true. Her, I thought about hers that. was the same though, as far as I could tell. Or if, if if there's anything different, I mean, they didn't focus on it in either of these two episodes, and she's one of the more focused on characters. So I just I thought that was kind of strange, especially since that... they've emphasized that she, like in the past, whenever they were doing the, uh, uh, oh, it's not the trials. What am I thinking of? Their hero license, um, the provisional, the provisional exam. exam. Thank you. Uh, she literally was affected by the cold, so it just seemed right. like they would have done something to try and help her with that. That's true. I did think that Bakugo's costume kind of looks like one of those crazy color inverted ski suits from the 90s. Where like, <laughs> yeah. instead of like where it's black, it would normally be like bright neon pink or something. Right. And then with black accents. I, it just like a big turtleneck to me. That's what I had in my notes. Bakugo wears a turtleneck yeah. now. Comments about, uh, made about Midoriya's upgrades about his new gloves. And he even goes on to say, well, these are like version two of these gloves. Uh, they get Ochako thinking about Mei Hatsume and her like booba lanch onto uh, Midoriya in the hallway outside of the uh, the uh, uh, the equipment room, and she punches herself in the face to kind of chase those images out of her mind, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. It was funny, yeah. Ochako cracks me up. Uh, and then after they've kind of discussed their suits, this is when Class One B shows up, and I'm telling you, Manoma is like introducing the fact that they've arrived and that guy is going to throw out his back by the time he graduates because every (laughs) time he does any kind of like exclaiming, he's always bent in this weird position. Like he's just like, he's screaming at the sky. He's not even looking at them. Yeah. I super liked this first intro of all of one B. Um, one thing that I noticed was that they're actually introduced in class order or by seat number. Um, because they begin, uh, they begin with seat one and they go all the way through Rin, which is the last seat. Um, so just a silly little detail. Huh. Um, everybody in class one, a has a seat number two. If you go on the wiki, it'll tell you who sits where, um, but they're introduced in that order. Monoma in immediately pulls out a pole, which just felt so insulting, but it was, I, 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 I loved it and I hated it. I loved it because it was a very Monoma thing to do to be like, ha, Class 1B finally beat you in something already, even before we get into the festivities today. We already owned you in this, uh, the, school, uh, the school festival. And he shows that there was a poll between who liked which present- presentation or, or play or song better. Class 1A's Hero 2, led by Jiro, or Class B's crazy like Lord of the Rings slash everything else play. And he points out that Class B won by two votes, which, number one, is just completely BS. Uh, and number two, it kind of broke my heart to see Jiro was the one who was like closest to him and looking over this piece of paper, like, cause that was her baby, man. Yeah. And, and she's seeing that it didn't win that didn't win the silly poll contest. I felt, I felt bad. That, no, it makes sense. Like I, it's a very Monoma thing to do. So you think it's funny and love it. But like from their perspective, it is sad. Like they worked hard on that. We know how hard they worked on it, but 
Class B's got to be sick of being compared to 1A. I mean, they've been working their butts off too, and they, it kind of, I think I may be getting into it a little early, but Midnight and All Might show up to like, you know, have a, a viewing of what's going to happen here. And All Might's biggest concern is like, let's see who has really progressed the most. Class 1A, who's constantly been thrown into crisis and, and had to learn on the fly, or Class B, who has been able to do this course the way it's meant to be done, and, and they've progressed very steadily over these semesters. Let's see who is going to be kind of the top dog. And so it is interesting that Monoma is bringing up this already like comparison on like something that's totally trivial to this, but prepping 1A that they may not be the top dogs forever just because they're the ones that are always in the spotlight. Yeah. And Monoma continues to spouting off his mouth and Aizawa shuts him up with his bandages, which I thought was awesome. I wanted Kendo to help him. Like I wanted Kendo to be smacking him upside the head while Aizawa was shutting him up or something. Well, Awase was there yelling at him. He He's like, you know, uh, Kendo's backup That's when true. it comes to handling Manoma. That's true. Um, <laughs> Does Manoma yeah, feel like he, they're Mineta? Um, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe it's like the person who annoys everybody else in the class like the, the most. outspoken, annoying way. kid, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Aizawa shuts him up long enough to say, hey, we've got a special guest that's going to be joining us for these exercises. Um, from the general or the normal studies classes, 1C, we got special guest. Shinso and I was super excited about all of this. Even ever since like the first little trailer for the season launched and he was in it and had that cool new face mask looking thing, I was like, this is gonna be I'm gonna love every minute of Shinso on the screen. Uh and I've been right so far. I've stinking love him as a character. Yeah, he doesn't disappoint. I mean, he pretty much comes right into it and tells them, like, hey, look, I'm not here to be your friend. You know, I know that there's this kind of like sportsmanship thing that everyone adheres to. You know, we've fought each other in the past. Uh, I don't care. Like, I, I'm behind you guys. I'm here to learn. This is serious to me. Like, please treat me seriously, basically. I think he's trying to level with them. Like, he's not here to, to mess around. He wants to be, become a pro hero, and he needs this experience because he feels like he's way behind. And I thought it was kind of funny because, like, when he's done talking, everybody claps, and it felt like one yeah. of those weird memes or something. It was a pity clap. <laughs> They were just like, I think we're supposed to clap yeah. here, and so that's what they all do. It was, like, it was just strange. It's not enthusiastic at yeah, all. Yeah, it was very, very strange. Uh, but they give a quick breakdown on what exactly this exercise is going to be. So it's Class 1A versus Class 1B, and it's going to be four on four for the most part, except Shinzo is going to compete twice, and in two matches it will be five versus four. And there's kind of some contention here. Like Bakugo doesn't like the fact that they're going to have this unexperienced guy on the team. And he's like, well, that's the handicap right there. You know, it's, we're going to have someone that has never been fighting before. And we're going to have to make up for it because now we have to learn his quirk and we have to try and watch out for him on the battlefield. Uh, and the idea is, is that once four people from one of the teams is captured and put into this prison, the other team wins. Or if the time runs out, then whoever has the most people left wins. Uh, so it's it's definitely going to be really cool to see all of these matchups, and they, they kind of give us like a quick rundown of of who is going to be fighting who. Yeah, and before we get to that too, I wanted to highlight just there's a vast spectrum of reactions to Shinso uh, joining this particular exercise. Uh, you have Ojiro, who was kind of brainwashed by him for uh, one of the two, I think it was the cavalry battle, um, and he's freaking out. Uh, he's he's like shaking in the background and they start talking about how you know on your if your first your first confrontation with Shinso it's imp, it's it's impossible to not get caught in this brainwash thing. Yeah, I mean you could never um, know. Right. But then you also get uh once they start breaking folks up into teams, you have uh Kaminari and Kirishima and Sue are totally fine with having Shinso as their fifth. Um and I mean Koda doesn't really say much I don't think, but uh, the other three are just like Kaminari's like, I want to be your best friend already. And he continues with that line like throughout the rest of this exercise. And uh, Kirishima is pretty pumped about him as well. Uh, Monoma seems to be pretty big on Shinso too, but he kind of gives the creeps to everybody else. Um, I also liked too, and I don't know if you caught this, but after he gave his little speech where he was just like, I'm not here to make friends, I'm here to become a hero. And they're clapping. Um, I think Saro looks at Todoroki and says, it's like I'm looking at an early Roki. Um, yeah. <laughs> in the manga, they call it a pre-upgrade Roki. So we, we've been calling them Toads, which I still like a little better. But Roki's uh, not bad, Roki though. Roki is, yeah. is, 
yeah, that's the canonical uh, truncation of Todoroki's name that's now, funny. which is pretty cool. So I do have a question uh, for you. Did you notice that the, and I'm sure you noticed, there's no way you didn't notice this, but the freaking cells that they're putting the, the captured teammates in are like Nezu cells. They're Hello Kitty uh, Nezu cells, yeah. So my first thought was like, do you think this was the cell they kept Nezu in when they were experimenting on him and stuff, and it's some weird sick joke? Like, does Nezu even know they're in the Gamma area? You know, like, would he <laughs> would he one day be taking a walk, stumble across them, and have, like, awful flashbacks? Or, I don't know, it just felt weird. Why is, why is Nezu on the cell? I don't know. It's because he's evil. I, I thought it was silly, um, but I, I enjoyed it. It was that kind of, it was that, it's an it's a palatable kind of silliness what, sure. not where it's like the stupid silly, right. but it's just like, well, okay, whatever. Uh, Nezu would do something like that. Totally. I just feel like there are deeper, deeper evil meanings here. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the teams shake down like this, there's going to be five rounds, um, with four V fours and then five V fours. And as I was trying to quickly type these out, of course, and we know all the names of the people in one a, um, but I didn't know many of the names for class one B. So I had to very quickly come up with like little pseudonyms based on what I could see of them as I went through this. So, uh, battle one is Kirishima, Kaminari, Koda, and Sue. And then also, uh, Shinso draws, uh, lots to be on their team. And I have them down as fighting Druid, Rin, Beast, and Blue Blazer, um, whose real names are Shiozaki, Rin. Um, I knew that name, Shishida and Subaraba. And then, uh, the second battle is Tokoyami, Hagakure, Momo, and Aoyama. Um, and let's see the, uh, th they were set up against, uh, the mushroom, Kendo, Ink Boy, and Manga. Um, so real names are Kanoko Komori is the mushroom headed lady, Kendo, who we know, and then Shihai Kuroi, Kuro Iro, um, who's just that guy that's got jet black skin in Manga Fukudashi. Third battle is Ojiro Roki, uh, as I am now going to try to call him Shoji. And Ida, which is an interesting that team. That is an interesting team. Versus uh, Pony, Sunori, a uh, cool costume is what I have as this other guy's name, Tetsu X4, and then Spiral. <laughs> Tetsu X4. Um, <laughs> who is a Pony Sunatori. Uh, Juzo Honanuki is the guy who's got the cool costume. Uh, and then uh, Tetsu, 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 and Sin Kaibara. Uh, fourth battle is Sato, Sero, Jiro, and Bakugo. They're the O squad, is what I called them. All their names in to know. Versus uh, Centipede, comic print guy or girl, rather, uh, Awase, who uh, we've had some run-ins with before, and then Glue Dude. So real names there are Tugaro uh, Kamakiri, Awase, Kojiro Bondo, and Setsuna uh, Tokage is uh, who I called comic print. Her costume is like, it has like those comic dots on it, it looks like in the anime. And then the fifth battle is Mineta Ochako, Mina, and Midoriya versus Monoma, the Saiyan, Wet Kakashi, and Pokemon Trainer. Um, <laughs> and Shinso was put on that team too. And the real names of the Class 1B folks there are Monoma, uh, Niringeki Shoda, Raiko Yanagi, who I called Wet Kakashi because she has similar colored hair, it's just lying flat, and then uh, UA Kodai. That's a mouthful. That whole, that whole loves a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Took a couple minutes just to read those things, yeah. but it was fun coming up with uh, names on the fly for everybody. And uh, we find out, too, Deku realizes that he's going to have a rematch opportunity against uh, Shinso, because of the lot that Shinso pulled, he's going to be against uh, Midoriya's team in that fifth round. And I was like, damn it, that's the fifth battle. That's a long way away. I don't know if they're going to, surely they're not going to skip over a bunch of these, right? Like, we're going to get to see all these. I really want to. I get the feeling the way that they're going to do this is kind of how they handled uh, whenever they did the very first, like, Class 1A heroes versus villains, where, like, the important fights were a full episode, but then they had an episode where the first half was, like, all of the other fights condensed into, like, a quick splash shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I worry otherwise, that they're going to treat like it like a whole the, season. Uh, I mean... Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it's two episodes for the first battle. They don't all have to go that long because they had to do a lot of development for Shinso. Um, I was worried that they were going to treat it kind of like they did the 1v1s in the first sports fest where some of them took place off screen and like you found out the ends of them. I hope that doesn't. But they happen. weren't really showcased. I get the feeling they'll show the big Shinzo fights. And then other than that, we'll have like maybe a 15 minute bit in an episode where it showcases the others. But I don't think they'll yeah. be. I, at least I hope that's the way they do it. Because I, I don't want a full season of this. Oh, man, I do. I would watch 1A and 1B duke it out for a dozen, 15 episodes. No what? problem. Really? 
This is what I've been waiting on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been super psyched about one B. I, I am too, but like, I want to see more one A and one B like together in some sort of crisis. I don't want to just see one A versus one B. I want to see one B develop a little bit more, like in a villain situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I think that this this exercise lends itself to that end eventually, where now one A gets to see one B's capabilities and experience. Uh, so that if they have to form those teams on the fly, kind of like they did uh, when the summer camp was attacked, that they will have uh, a better tactical understanding of who can do what uh, and, you know, and s- s- assign jobs and duties to the people that they think would do those things best and, yeah. and find some synergies. That totally makes sense. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Deku is super excited to see how Shinso fights given all his new quote unquote upgrades and he pulls out a hero notebook, which I still love that he has and uses. And, uh, Ochako is immediately like, where did you get that from? <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> he just pulls it out of nowhere, which is great. Uh, this is where Mina wonders if all might midnight are dating as they come up. And I was like, pay attention. It's the youths. Like that's what, that's all she ever gushes about is the youths. Um, and all might, she asks all might who she thinks, who he thinks is going to win. And as you pointed out, he's like, I'm, I'm curious to see if, it's going to be class 1A, which turns crises into strengths, or class B, who is steadily improving overall through their uh, classwork. And then we jump into the first match. Right. So in the first match, we pretty much get right into Shinzo breaking down his quirk for Kaminari, Kirishima, Sue, and Koda. He's breaking down his quirk and trying to explain to them kind of how it works, along with how his voice modulator works. And they, they explain that basically it is going to allow him to change his voice to sound like someone else. And they do this at the beginning of this episode and, or sorry, the end of this episode and a little bit in the beginning of 92. Uh, but as they are kind of starting everything, they uh, have had Coda send out birds to see if he can get an idea of where class one B is going to be at. And they return back and say that they found Shiazaki and she's off trying to basically probe her surroundings with the vines. And then like basically out of nowhere, beast attacks them uh, like he just slams right into Sue, I think, and takes her. No, he slams into Kirishima, takes him out, and then just goes nuts. It's pretty awesome. And another guy pops up over his shoulder, like he was just riding on his back the whole time, and puts like an air prison around Koda. So he's got him totally concealed, and is really awesome because Shinzo actually copies this guy's voice, and his name is Subaraba, uh, and he is tricks the beast, and so the beast just like shuts down immediately. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and we have to talk too very briefly about this shot of Sue on the wall. So she Dude. goes into camo mode yeah. and they, uh, Shinso's just like, well, if you're looking right at it, you can see it, which is very predator esque. Um, she's, she does the smart girl thing and says, we just need to use our numbers, which is our advantage if we have one. So we need to stay together instead of splitting up. Um, Kaminari is being, uh, kind of dumb. He's like, don't you think I should just go shock them all by myself? And I was like, you're not in dumb mode yet. Um, <laughs> but you're making, you're saying, dumb, you're saying the dumb things. Uh, but then we get this shot of Sue on the wall and it is just like 80% ass. Dude, and I was weird. like, what is this? Yeah. And there's nothing remotely close to that in the manga. It looks like that crazy, uh, spider woman drawing that got all the controversy, um, of like a couple years ago, I was just like, good Lord, what, what is this? Yeah, no, I thought it the was same very thing. jarring. Even my wife, cause I, she was watching it with me. She was like, what the hell? Like that's unexpected. Like just, you know, it was almost very, I mean, it was fan service is all I can say. It's what it was, you know? Um, <sighs> so weird. but it, it is kind of weird for sure. And like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, the rest of the animation for these two episodes is super slick. Like all compliments across the board. It looks great. They make really good use of like the automatopoeia and the cool little uh, like word arts of the quirks for some of these guys as they're being discussed. So cool. But this one shot, I was like, what in the heck was somebody thinking about this? Yeah, it um, felt very forced because it wasn't necessary. Yeah. It was like they just put it there to be there. So, yeah, yeah, super weird. Um, but Jirota Shishida, the big beast looking guy, he explains that they basically anticipated what 1A was going to do, that they were basically going to target, uh, Shiazaki. Shiazaki. Yeah. Look at you feeding me a name. Bro, um, I know. <laughs> practice this time. And he even got it right. <laughs> he got it right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he, he kind of sneaks up on them and he explains that he has a, a very acute sense of smell. And so he's able to track them down and he does smash Kaminari and he grabs Sue and throws her too. Um, and 
you get this, they, they get in close to Kaminari while he's in the midst of a group because they think that'll mean that he won't be able to uh, discharge his electricity. Um, so maybe they're unaware of how, well, they definitely are because later on in the next episode, they seem very unaware of how his, um, his equipment works. Yeah, because he didn't get his equipment Kaminari's. until after the festival, so that it makes sense. Because all they saw the festival of him was that he tried to like basically mash shock Shiazaki, and she was able to stop him. So they're not aware that he's kind of leveled up a little bit. Uh, I liked too that um, when Shinso shuts down uh, Shishida, Kaminari screams good work. Yeah, and the the voice actor nailed the excitement yeah. for that particular scene. It. It is so hype sounding. And in the manga, I like it even better because he says, and we're done here. But what's really funny <laughs> is like, he actually acknowledges later that that was a total screw up because he gave away what happened. Yeah, so that's true. I mean, it was totally bad on the tactics end. It was really freaking cool, though. Like Shinzo was able to nail it right out of the gate because the moment that he he asks Beast a question like, all right, you've got him. Take him out now. And Beast is like, heck, yeah, let's do it. And then Subaraba is like, oh, oh crap, I didn't say that. That wasn't me. And immediately Beast is shut down. So, I mean, it was a really cool sequence there, definitely. I can see why he's all amped up. Yeah. That brings us into episode 92 called Make It Happen Shinso. And at the beginning of this, we're given a kind of a time frame for how much time has elapsed so far in My Hero. I know you and I have struggled with timelines quite a bit. They're only in their second semester. And in Japan, semesters are about four months long. So they're, you're talking about eight months since day one at UA so far. Which is pretty wild. So I guess Midoriya has not even had the quirk for a full year. Or he may have had yeah. it exactly for a year. Because I think he trained for like four months up until the first day of UA. Well, he tr- but he only got it the day of the exam. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So he, yeah, man, so. yeah, that's nuts. It's crazy to see how far he's come in eight months. I mean, we know he's practicing day in and day out. But like, he's accomplished a lot for sure. Uh, but regardless, let's get, let's talk about Shinzo because the first opening here is kind of a little bit of a recapitulation, like I had mentioned, where he is breaking down his quirk and really giving us a full deep dive. Which I think it's Coda that actually thanks him for it because he says it's it's difficult whenever a hero's quirk gets out, that, you know, the villains are able to use that against them. Like it's not normally good for people or a lot of people to know how your quirk works, especially Shinzo's. Uh, and, and he explains that his his device is capable of changing his voice so that way he can mimic other people's voices but he can't use like a speaker to project his voice onto someone and uh, have them fall under his control it, it won't work that way just like he can't have multiple people fall under his control because his his conscience would be split between them basically um, and i think there was another caveat like he can't get knowledge from them he can't have them think so while they're under his control he can have them do things and he, he gives the example of like asking somebody, you know, who is the frog lady, talking about Sue, that they wouldn't be able to answer that question. They couldn't write that out, basically. Yeah, which I think is a really neat wrinkle to his, because otherwise he would be, like, an insanely good interrogator. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, he would be one of the best (laughs) spies of all time. Yeah. Because he could get in uh, and get any kind of information and get out without almost ever really being caught. And can you imagine his quirk mixed with someone that could erase, like, memories? Yeah. And, uh, I thought it was kind of strange where he said that uh, he has to focus his attention on the target and then think, I'm going to brainwash this person, Um, which obviously gives the quirk some intentionality, but it just feels strangely worded. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like, how did, how did he, how does, how did that work the first time that he found that he had brainwashed somebody? You know, did he think I'm going to brainwash them without knowing that that's what his quirk even was? Um, or did it happen passively the first time? And this is just a way of ensuring that it works. I mean, you don't um, like regularly you know, just think about what if I could brainwash this person right now and, and just to see. Like no, you don't occasionally no, don't. raise your hand and try the force just to see, you know, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's not um, me. You're letting your fantasies seep out I here on so. the podcast. Here. So. <laughs> uh, and I do. I, I had in my notes where he said probably impossible to brainwash many people at once. I just have in my notes. I was like, that feels like weird foreshadowing. Like it's surely at some point he's going to be able to, he's going to do that. He's going to, he's going to shut down two people at once. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Or he's going to figure out a way to do it. I feel like that may be what I was trying to help him with because I think we initially, we've had a lot of talk back and forth on whether or not Izawa's quirk works on like one person at a time or multiple people. And I feel like in one of the more recent episodes, I noticed it, it brought up his quirk. 
uh, in like one of the interludes, and it says that he can focus like whoever he's focusing on. It's not one to one. It's like a group of people. It seemed like. So yeah, it was one of the like splash pages between commercial breaks yeah. in the last episode, actually, and it just says that whoever's in his field of vision, uh, he can shut down their quirks. Right. So I mean, and uh, maybe go ahead. I mean, maybe he's working with Aizawa to try and figure out how he can do the same thing with his quirk. Uh, I don't know that Aizawa was able to do that right off the bat. It seemed like he kind of had to work his way up. Yeah, I I will say. One knock against Shinso's mask thing, as cool as its effects are, the dials make no sense to me whatsoever. I don't, yeah, I don't know how that's work unless it's something that is like pressing against his vocal cords and changing them like with pressure points, basically, to make it to where he doesn't have to think about altering his voice. The thing that I think is interesting is he's manually doing that. So, right. I mean, that is going to be really difficult. How do you learn like to? basically adjust your pressure points or however that device works to mimic someone else. I mean, that would take a lot of practice to catch any kind of variance because it's got to be pretty close. Yeah. I, the, my best explanation for how that worked, I think that something that was passively kind of listening to the voices around him and somehow he's able to single one out and it automatically adjusted would make some sense. sense. So it's some sort of and like s- tuning into that particular voice. Right. Tuning would be a good, a, a good word for that, but maybe that's not what the dials are doing. Maybe the dials are his way of kind of cycling through the voices that it is picking up and saying, this is the one that was my only guess. Do you think he has like an earpiece or something that's feeding back into him so that way he can hear what other voice, like select a voice basically. Um, in the manga, it looks like there are some things that kind of go over his ears, uh, for the, for, for that particular device. So yeah, I would guess that Hmm. maybe again, that he's able to kind of, cycle through the different voices and then be like, okay, that's the one that I want you to, to replicate. And it does so automatically somehow yeah. tunes to it. I like tune. That's a, I think that's an apt description of what I was thinking was yeah, happening. Cause they're almost, they look like radio knobs. So, I mean, it was almost like tuning a frequency is what I'm thinking of. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I see. I don't think that he's tuning them himself. I think that, cause that would be really hard. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like it would be really hard, but I also don't think that it's like actively recording voices and then just playing those back somehow because that would also be I mean, the level of like AI you would need in something to be able to listen to a voice in and hear one sentence and then make it to where you could say anything in that exact voice would that'd be very hard. That's yeah, that's may, as equally may as could difficult. Do it. Maybe. I believe in yeah. May. <laughs> his 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 mask is dope. It's very difficult to kind of wrap your mind around the science of it. It's I a think. quirk. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we we get uh, kind of back to this fight too. Kaminari jumps in. Um, I think uh, Shishida still has Sue in his hands, and or maybe he doesn't. No, no. Subara is just kind of riding on his back. He jumps in there. Kaminari does, and uh, Shishida reflexively grabs him, which is what Kaminari wanted. Kaminari puts himself into positions of danger intentionally twice in this episode, um, but for tactically sound reasons where he creates advantages for himself or for his team. And I really liked that. And this is one where as soon as Shishida has a hand on him, he shocks him, uh, shocks him real good. And the only thing I didn't like, I loved the animation of him being jolted, super cool looking, but I was very upset that it didn't turn him into a big, like fluffy poof ball. <laughs> yeah, that would have um, been nice. That it sent like, all of his hair sticking up, that would have been hilarious. Yeah. That's my only gripe about the animation in this episode. Well, the moment he gets shocked, uh, Subaraba like, basically gets nabbed up by Sue, and she just runs off, takes him to go put him in the cellar. Uh, I say the cellar, the cell, the Nezu cell, the creepy Nezu cell. As she runs off, uh, Shishida basically recovers like almost immediately. I mean, for him to have gotten hit as hard as he did, I feel like he recovered pretty quickly. Uh, and he is just going to go ham on all these people. And I almost wonder if it's like some level of him losing control. Cause I thought that they had mentioned with his quirk that at some point he kind of like loses control of beast mode and almost becomes, I don't want to say less human, but the beast side takes over if that makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. but he does, he goes nuts and he, he basically like <laughs> completely eliminates Kirishima. Like it's awesome. Yeah. So Kirishima is trying to break Koda out. Uh, he he erupts from the rubble, has to go unbreakable to break it. Uh, the the little air cube that was placed around Koda, but he does manage to get him out of there. 
and uh, Beast is rushing after Sue because he she's got Subara, Subaraba rather, and has taken him to the prison. And so Kirishima and Koda square off. And Koda says, "Please lend me your strength, little ones." What what did he summon? Did he like, call a bunch of gnats? Is he gonna like? Yeah, <clears throat> maybe I they're would, fleas. I did not understand. Like maybe that, that would make sense. He's gonna sick a bunch of fleas on the beast. <laughs> maybe I guess. But Shishida kind of jumps and then shrinks back down to like his standard size. Yeah, he like turns and he human. passes between them. It's freaking cool. Yeah, yeah. He calls it like human mode, but he's still very much a beast boy. And it looks um, like he has sunglasses he, on in this mode. He does. He has them on in beast mode does too. He? Okay. Well, I just mm-hmm. don't pay attention. Um, and then the uh, he turns back into beast mode and grabs Kirishima, and I just have in my notes that he throws him to freaking Mars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> <'cause> he just... <laughs> he's funny because he's got Koda and Kirishima in both hands, and he's like, Kirishima's the only one that can withstand my attacks, right? All right, well, we'll just ditch you. And he throws him, like, just, I mean, all the way over to the other side where Shiyazaki was. Yeah, which was smart. I mean, he throws him uh, in, the, in the region where he was going to be captured, and Shiyazaki has a... I think we talked about this before. She... Uh, her character is littered with religious iconography and language. Oh, yeah. And so as common, uh, as Kirishima has fallen down from the sky, she says, sheeps keep falling from the sky or whatever, which is biblical language. And I've made a note of a bunch of this stuff because I'm, I'm very sensitive to that because of my work. Um, but Sue does manage to get Subaraba into the cell. Uh, and Todoroki, this is a strange scene and it wasn't in the manga, but Todoroki's like, with this, we're even. And Bakugu says, no, no, we're not. Or no, they're not. So I, I, I maybe interpreted that as maybe Bakugo was like, no, I don't know that we win this yeah. now with Kirishima out, with his bro Kirishima. Um, I think Bakugo was like, I don't know if our combat strength is high enough to overcome who's That's left. That's the way I read it, too. I think he read it as like, Shinzo's got them in a bad spot. You know, I think he's just, for some reason, he's got it out for Shinzo. I don't know what that is, but I felt like the way he read it was like, because of Shinzo, they're actually weaker. You know, you've got Kirishima completely taken out, and they're going to have to rely on this guy, like... They're down. They're down two people, is what the way he's seeing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shishida's got his hand over Koda's mouth, so Koda's been rendered totally ineffective, basically. And he dodges Kaminari and Sue to go and put Koda in jail, which he's successful in doing. And for some reason, they left Ren to guard the jail cell, which makes no freaking sense because once the people are in that jail cell, the the cell. There is no escaping. You don't get a second chance. You're just out of the round. So why do they have, why did they post a guard? I don't, it makes yeah, no sense I thought the me. same thing. I, I don't know why they really did that. Unless, yeah, no, there's no really not a good reason. I don't think anyways. Vlad takes over the MC job from present Mike, who isn't there. So I guess he's the fill in and he is super excited. He's, he's shouting very enthusiastically about, will this be the time where my class B will finally crush class A and, He's definitely got this inferiority complex going on, and uh, there's a bunch of 1A students behind him holding up signs that say against biased commentary, <laughs> and Vlad should comment impartially, which I thought was really I funny. That was funny, too. You remember, I cast him as Vin Diesel, and all I could see during this yeah. scene was uh, Vin Diesel in the pacifier when he's taking out that coach, and he's like over the mic talking <laughs> to all these kids. Yeah, that's great. Deku is consulting his notebook, uh, and he's kind of critiquing uh, Shinso's performance and he says he's really slow with those binding cloths and that's that's gonna have to be something that he uh that he enhances and gets better at he's fidgeting with these dials shinso is as he apologizes for his slow reaction time but again his voice isn't changing so what the hell are those dials doing Dude, I, don't, I, don't I don't either um, i have no idea <laughs> uh but he takes he gets some compliments from i think kaminari at this point who's like dude you're totally going to be a future hero and Shinso's response is just, whatever. Well, I mean, it's uh, kind of a cool scene because, like, okay. Sue and Kaminari are both admitting where they messed up. And they're they're trying to boost their teammate. And I think it's twofold because they need to admit where they messed up so they can come up with a plan to get back into this game. And if they don't yeah. talk now about what their weaknesses are, they're not going to have time to do it. So, I, And it's kind of interesting, like, Sue really took the leadership role in this match, in my opinion. Like, she's the one that from the get-go was talking about the other team, what they were probably planning, what we, like, you know, Class 1A needed to do and her team needed to do. And then in this instance, she's doing the same thing. Like, well, you know, here's where we messed up. And Kaminari, this is when he's like, oh, I'm sorry that I, you know, gave away your trick or whatever. Uh, you're right, though. Like, when they compliment Shinzo, he's just like, okay, thanks. You know, like, he had no reaction to it at all. I, th- I was hoping that he would get hyped up with them. Uh, but it's funny because Sue is like, hey, Kaminari, why don't you check your pointer? And we will kind of go away from this scene in just a second. But basically, Kaminari had left a uh, 
a tracking device. The five-star Dragon yeah, Ball. Yeah, the five-star Dragon Ball. They, they left the tracking device on uh, Shishida. And Kaminari apparently had no freaking idea, but Sue caught it. So, Yeah, and so we've got Class 1A scheming, making a plan, and Sue uh, kind of pulls the sleeves down, and there's some ooze coming out of it. Uh, and so that is going to factor into her plan. Um, we'll get into that in just a second. And 1B is trying to figure out, okay, now that we've got these two out of the way, who do we get? Who do we get next, and who can we safely ignore? And Shishida is like, well, if we get Shinso, then we could ignore Kaminari, um, who they initially uh, expected to be the greater offensive threat anyway. And at around about this time, Shishida's kind of sniffing the air, and he smells that there are three Asuis heading his way. So we get this weird scene too, where Shizaki says, "In that case, I must teach. I must teach them that." Plans lead to the that those kind of plans lead to defilement and all this tentacle hair is coming out of her and uh, they're setting she's getting ready to set this big trap. And then we cut over to Midoriya and Mineta, who remember what what it is that Sue's doing. Uh, They they recall the USJ and her list of frog like qualities. And one of them was that she has this toxic mucus and they had they were like, if we almost forgot about that, there's no way Class B knows of this. So they had basically uh, masked their sense making all of them smell like Asui, which is really cool. And we get a very quick little segment called Mei Hatsume's My Baby Academia, which I freaking love, and it needs to happen every episode. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's actually like a side series. I, I saw it on Hulu whenever I went to stream these episodes. There's like a, I think there is. I think there's like a My Hero Academia baby thing, isn't there? I don't know. It's not in the manga. At least it's not named that. There is a thing where Mei is kind of explaining to Kaminari how this stuff works. But in the anime, it's like, has its own title and everything, and I love it. And she wrong. says, I don't that, know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about either. Um, but if you're right, we've got more content coming down the pipe uh, to, between us and ties and socks. So, but she explains that pointer stick uh, in the glasses that uh, Kaminari's wearing will tell them where those pointers are so that he can aim appropriately. And he's like, Sue, you're amazing for noticing that one of those things stuck. And she's just like, It's more amazing that you didn't notice that. Uh, this is your thing, man. Like, get with it. So they are talking amongst themselves, Shinso, Su, Kaminari, and they're like, we're pretty sure Shishida knows where we are at all time, but as long as he doesn't see us, he won't know who's where. And so uh, at this point, this is kind of where we get this breakdown of Kaminari, where he's just like, well, maybe I should just be the one that gets caught. Um, And he begins to participate again in, in the planning which I thought was really cool too. We we cut back over very quickly as well to Shiyazaki uh, calls herself Vine, or that's what her quirk is. And she says that she will judge the schemers, more biblical language. And then she does the super move called the Via Della Rosa, which is the way of pain or sorrow in Latin, which is uh, a reference to the kind of path that they, uh, scholars think Jesus took in Jerusalem to get to the site of the crucifixion. She calls Shishida apocaly- uh, apocalypse beast, more biblical yeah. language. He denies that particular moniker, prefers to be called Gavauden, which is a uh, a reference to uh, 1760s in France. There was a beast or a series of beasts, a number of beasts outside of the French city of Gavauden that were like wolf dog hybrids and killed like upwards of four or five hundred people a really good, um, over the course of about seven really years. Good French movie based on that lore. Oh, yeah, really? I think it's called uh, the Wolf Brothers or something like that, or the Tale of the Wolf Brothers. I'll have to look it up and send it to you, but there's a really good French movie based on that. Well, this is where Ren sees the uh, the little five-star ball on Shishida, but uh, they aren't able to remove it quite quickly enough. Kaminari gets caught uh, intentionally, uh, and he gets pulled in, and he threatens that he's going to blast all three of them. So uh, Ibarra, Shizaki, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> she. She covers him in a ball of vines and then puts up a big shield, kind of like she did at the uh, at the tournament in front it's of her. Crucifix but instead of faith shield, so even more, you know, yep. religious talk there. Yep, ton. And f- the shield of faith is, uh, you know, a specific thing from uh, the the scriptures as well. But anyway, the uh, he goes and does the targeting thing, but uh, Ren is able to shoot uh, it off of Shishida before it connects. Yeah, and it's really funny because they they do a bit of uh, like explaining how Kaminari decided to get caught and he's breaking it down for Sue and Shinzo. Like, Hey, what if I am the only one that gets caught and you know, they are probably expecting me to be the one that they don't want to deal with. So I'll get caught, distract them. And then you two can get up close. And as he's doing this, he's walking closer and steps on a vine and accidentally enacts the plan. (laughs) I mean, it was just, it was very (laughs) Kaminari. 
I thought it was really funny. Yeah, I thought he did that oh, intentionally. Oh, no, I did not think he did that intentionally. He was talking about the plan, and then it just so happened that he did, got caught, so they went with the plan. It wasn't a bad plan, <laughs> it just wasn't really planned entirely, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it totally worked out in the end, that's Absolutely. for sure, regardless of how intentionally he did or didn't step on those right, lines. Right, right. Uh, so after they kind of knock away the, the tracer that Kaminari typically is able to use, uh, it's awesome. I mean, Rin is able to get that thing out of there just in time because otherwise they were about to get hurt pretty bad. Uh, we get a quick breakdown of his quirk. His quirk is scales. He's basically Spike from X-Men, but with scales. So mm-hmm. he's yep. got a really cool outfit, though, that I feel like has next to nothing to do with his quirk other than the fact that maybe they're dragon scales. Maybe he can turn into a dragon. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I had talked about his costume, I think, when the first... Uh, promotional image for season five came out and it's based on like old Japanese vampire zombie lore and that little thing over his face um, typically in that lore were like um, sealing. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Words of sealing. Um, but the ones on his, I looked this up on the, the wiki are uh, defense body guarantee in life. I don't know if those are the same ones um, from the historical vampire zombie things from Japan, but that's kind of what his, his costume is based around. Well, after he shoots the, uh, the tracer away, uh, Shinzo is actually reaching out and says something to Shiazaki as Shishida, and she falls for it and immediately goes limp, uh, drops Kaminari, and uh, it turns out that this was basically the plan the whole time, you know, that Kaminari was the distraction, they'd get in and uh, get up in and close, and so it's pretty awesome. I think it was a pretty slick move, but the moment that this happens, Beast, like, basically freaks out and is able to realize like, okay, we got to go find Shinzo and take care of him. So he stops communicating altogether with Rin and Rin's just left there alone. Like to, I don't know he's not defending the cell. Like you mentioned, cause it doesn't really make sense, but he's just alone. Sue is able to capture Shiazaki and take off with her. So, I mean, Shinzo basically shut them down with one sentence because now they, they don't trust each other to talk out loud. Yeah, and now that I'm thinking about Ren's presence here, it might actually make some sense if you think back to something that Shishida said real early on when the uh, exercise was described, where he had made the comment that, well, it would be ideal if we knocked folks out right outside of the cell. And so maybe their plan this whole time was kind of to lure them over to the cell. But still, I don't know why you would leave one man behind in doing that. But maybe that's maybe that's the justification for him. Maybe. Hanging back. But I mean, that doesn't make sense because the first thing they did was separate the group then, basically, because they put Shiozaki out by herself to be a decoy. And then I'm going to call him B, Shishida and uh, Suburaba went off on their own. So, like, were they supposed to, to get the other group to follow them back? I don't know. That seems weird to me. Yeah, uh, it's definitely I, I, I don't understand it. I'm just trying to find a justification for it. That makes some sense, given yeah. what we were presented with. Um, Rin goes to shoot Shiozaki awake. But Sue snatches her up with her tongue and places her out of his reach. Um, so Shishida um, can tell that it's Shinso then in the direction that he's running in based on Sue's appearance and movement behind him with Ren. And so he's doing the thing from like the Hulk in the first Avengers uh, yeah. in the, uh, where he's just like running through pipes as he's trying to get to where Shinso is. And he's thinking, you know, you say that you're behind, but you're a scary one. And I was like, says the rampaging beast. Um, <laughs> but he comes up on Shinso and Shinso immediately does uh, the the Aizawa TM where he uses the binding cloths and grabs this giant pipe and pulls down on it and it smashes uh, Shishida in the head. Uh, but Shishida is just like, well, villains aren't something so weak as to be brought down by something like this. And at this point, he hears Rin behind him shouting, behind you, Apaka Beast. And uh, Shishida is discounting that. He's like, I'm not falling for this, you know, uh, brainwashing thing again, which is weird because he's looking right at uh, Shinso. But you have to remember that the mask that Shinso is wearing obscures his mouth entirely. Right. So and it, it also gives kind him... of throws his voice a bit, too. It might. I know that they said that the the environment was very echoey and that he was taking advantage of that. Uh, but for sure, it's a, it is to Shinso's benefit that people can't see when his mouth is moving. To and similarly to when you can't tell where Aizawa's field of vision is because of his goggles. Same same concept, which I really liked. Yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. 
And it's this scene is great because he hears it again. Like, man, look out behind you. And he says, I'm not falling for it. And then out of nowhere, you hear Sue say, like, I'm really sorry for this. And Rin just gets slammed into the back of Beast's head, takes him down. Poor Shishida. He never saw him coming. Yeah, he right before it happens, he realizes that he should be paying attention to what's going on behind him, specifically because he was being called a pocket beast, which right. was Rin doing his best to be like, it's me. They didn't know that you were called this earlier. Yeah, they would not have known that. Absolutely. But he is not paying enough attention. So it's bad. <laughs> Deku is continuing to write in his notebooks about Shinso's performance, uh, which is going to probably possibly serve him well in the fifth round when they come back head to head and he makes note of the fact that one of the best advantages that class 1a uh, affected for themselves in this particular match was to completely disrupt communication and made it so that uh, everybody on uh, the 1b team couldn't trust the voices of anybody else on their team which is really cool Um, and he says this is going to be a completely different opponent than i fought uh, at the festival eight months ago it's also kind of neat because I feel like it might have been a Chaco that said it, some or Mineta maybe. I, someone in Class One A says, "Wow, Shinzo it turned out to not be that much of a burden." But Deku corrects them and actually says, "No, like Sue and Kaminari's quick thinking let him shine mm-hmm. in this instance." I mean, I think Deku was very aware that Shinzo kind of was only successful because Sue and Kaminari really set him up for the success on his own. I don't know that he would have accomplished this. Yeah, and we we catch up with Shiozaki who snaps back into it. Uh, after she had been brainwashed, she was commanded to wrap up uh, Shishida and Rin and take them to prison. And she snaps out of it and she says, oh God, please forgive this foolish sheep. And uh, I think in the Japanese, Kami is the word for God. Uh, I think I picked that up from like Dragon Ball maybe because I think I hear her say, oh Kami. Um, but uh, it, it reminded me of this passage from the scripture too where Paul's like, I do the things I don't want to do. And this was her saying the exact same thing. And uh, again, Shinso is kind of flanked by his teammates and they're like, you're not behind at all. Shin, so you're really strong. But he says, I can't let others carry me. I need to be strong enough to become a hero on my own. And I think you and I had talked very briefly last week or our last episode, or maybe the one before that, that, uh, the folks, especially at the, uh, the go beyond podcast don't, they don't think that that's the direction this is going in where you're going to be so flying solo, that this is going to be a very team heavy, very cooperative, uh, new, hero society and so i was like maybe that's not i'm not sure that that that's the direction that things are heading but shinsho is learning like one of the things that he says earlier on in this episode is something like you know not like i was looking down on the teamwork itself but it showed me the difference that experience makes in a team so he's starting to see that maybe his his approach might not be the right one after all and so i imagine we'll start to see him make some transitions in the near future yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm interested in seeing uh, how this fight between him and Deku plays out. I'm assuming that's what we're going to get to see next, more than likely. No way. You don't think no, so? No, they. I mean, so the after credits is definitely the the second round because it it talks about how Class B's plan is centered around Kendo, and they're going to take out Dark Shadow. Okay. And that Dark Shadow is going to whip out some new improv moves. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Okay. And I think that it even says like Tokoyami's new power will finally be revealed for the first time in Japan. Which uh, I was like, all right. I mean, it shows b- very briefly him working with Hawks. So maybe they left the country mm, maybe. And, and he learned something new. I'm not sure. But I'm super hyped about that. And yeah. I'm pretty sure I'll scroll back up. But I'm pretty sure Kendo is that second uh, second battle. Um, no, I think you're right. Because I do vaguely is. remember that I watched it. Whenever I watched it the first time, I watched the after credits. Today, I did not. But I think you're right. Uh, well, speaking of Tokoyami, I actually am using him in our segment today. So this week's episode, we wanted to kind of do something. I think we've done this a little bit before with some other characters, but we wanted to do like a class 1A and a class 1B team up or a combo move between two characters that probably haven't interacted before. Uh, and I have one that involves Tokoyami. So are you ready to hear right. mine? I'm ready. Lay it on me. So I I imagine this is going to happen in the show. Um, I did the best I could to keep myself spoiler free. So uh, my idea is that Tokoyami could pair up with this Kuro Iro guy. It sounds like he mm-hmm. has the ability to kind of like travel through dark things. And I don't know if that's like I didn't look enough into it to know whether or not that meant the shadows or if that just meant like. You know, if a wall is painted black, he could travel through it like he is a shadow. I, I don't really know the inner workings because I I wanted to keep myself vague. 
But it would be really cool if he could team up with Tokoyami to hide within Dark Shadow and basically perform like sneak attacks and stuff like that. Uh, or even maybe like, I don't know, rescue missions. He could get Dark Shadow could go out really far and this guy could pop out, grab someone and pull them into Dark Shadow and Tokoyami could bring Dark Shadow back and save people or something. I feel like there could be some really cool team ups between those two. It would be even really neater, like it'd be really freaking cool if Kuro Iro could use Tokoyami's Dark Shadow like a set of armor, almost like uh, um, the uh, the armor that uh, oh who is it in Naruto that does the uh, the massive armor? It's uh he's like one of the main characters. Why am I blanking? Sasuke. He's oh uh, yeah. It could be something like that. That would be pretty. The neat. Susano. Yeah, the Susano. I don't know. I just feel like with their they seem like they were almost made for each other in some sort of a combo move. You know. Yeah, I'm reading about his quirk, um, Kuro Eros, and it is, uh, it says, Shihai's quirk allows him to merge his body into anything that is dark in color, whether naturally dark or dark via external circumstances, such as shadows. Yeah, so that's perfect then. I mean, I feel like that, that's that got to, I'm sure this will happen. There's no way they didn't just make Kuro Iro to, to do that with Tokoyami, but huh, cool. I don't know. I think it sounded cool whenever I was, when I was looking at these characters, I saw him and I was like, man, that would be neat. So mine is also class 1A and class 1B because that was the assignment. I paired Rikido Sato with Yui Kodai, who I think I referred to as the Pokemon trainer in um in the team breakdowns. And so her quirk, uh I looked and I looked it up when we were looking at the costumes just to try to figure out it because I th- I think I talked about I like the thematic costumes. Hers really isn't that. Um but her quirk is called Size. And it says Yui's quirk grants her the ability to alter the size of non-living objects that she has interacted with. And it appears to be activated by Yui touching her fingertips together. So here's my crazy Super Smash Brothers idea. <laughs> you get her to, to enlarge a giant mallet. And then Ricky, uh, Rikido Sato pounds some sugar and then just goes with the hammer. Like in the Smash Bros. Where he's just like oh, walking back awesome. and forth across the screen and just smashing <laughs> yeah. everything. That would be such a cool team up. Yeah, I like that. And uh, I think, did you have a name for yours? I have a name for mine. I have a oh, couple I didn't, names for I mine. didn't even come up with a name for mine, to be honest with you. Okay. I, I think should mine's have. Either that should be, be a requirement in the future. I, I didn't think about it, though. Yeah. Mine, uh, I, I called it Sato Smash call, or Sugar Smash. I'll call mine Darker Shadow. Darker Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll allow it. <laughs> That was pretty fun. I like coming up with these combo moves, and who knows? Maybe we'll get to see some of these in, in action. I do think, given Sato's strength, if if you make something bigger, obviously, I think it would get heavier, and he would be able to, to utilize to that for still, sure. Yeah, still be able to utilize it. I so. feel like you could do a really cool combo move with uh, Yui Kodai and Achako. Like, you know, take a bunch of small pebbles and make them huge along with your gravity, and then just slam them on your opponents. Yeah, I like that, that too. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, Meteor Storm. Yeah, super fun. All right, well, that carries us through um, these two episodes. And also, this covered uh, chapters 194 through 197 of the manga, if you're reading along. And so, in our next episode of the AMP, AMP 77, we will go on to cover the next two episodes of the anime, episodes 93 and 94. Looking forward to it. We'll see you guys in two weeks. See you guys. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at Almighty Pod or follow at Back Patio Net for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O.